The other issue that happened was the guy who actually had shared with me about Jesus, and this is much more under wraps, had been like sexually harassing girls that I knew. And these were minors because we were all minors. And so this kind of explodes. A big group of us leave to another big Baptist church because the thinking is when you're 19, like, this is bigger and more corporate. It'll be safer, which sounds so freaking stupid when I say (laughs) it now. Like, hindsight. Um, and I'm, I'm there for like exactly a year. Um, and it was like out of the fire into the frying pan. You are listening to a first on Bang Gong podcast. We are recording this thing in a place with people that have nothing whatsoever <laughs> to do with Michael Beltran or Ariad Hospitality Group. Frankly, I feel uh, liberated. Shameless plug, liberated podcast. Nice. Take Mike um, I am Nick Jimenez, and I am joined by First Ballot Pankong Podcast Hall of Famer, Mr. John Falco Falco. This is where you'd insert the applause. That's uh, right. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you all. Thank you all very much. We're, uh, we're in front of a uh, live studio audience. I don't Correct. know if the studio... It's an audience. It's, a, it's words, an audience. Yeah, my brewers are here. Right. So, I mean, they're not looking or paying attention, but That's they are right. an audience, so they choose. We are at Lincoln's Beard. John Falco is taking over this podcast, really for the third time, but <laughs> Thank you. for the first time sort of officially. Uh, we're, we're giving Mike, uh, we called it a break for him. Really, we just wanted to get rid of him for a little bit yeah. uh, to give you all a break from him. Uh, and we are joined by... John's guest by Falco's guest. I don't know. It, it's, yeah. Is podcaster John Falco John or Falco? Oh uh, yeah, you I mean you can call him John Falco or Falco. Falco is just easier. Got it. Yeah, okay, it makes, so Falco makes uh, you feel like Madonna or Seal. Falco's guest Eric Isaac, who I will leave it to Falco to introduce because Falco, in a tremendous like I already feel like this is such a step up, has a clipboard with notes. There's a pen in his hand. This is a real thing that's happening. Yeah, what you know when it comes, and for all you know, for the very few Michael Beltran fans out there, have no fear. <laughs> there aren't any current overt plans for me to completely take over this show. I mean, I'll let you come to your own conclusion once you see the quality of this show. Um, but as of right now, I'm just filling in. But I will say, I feel a lot. I feel for my sports fans out there. I feel very Tom Brady to his Bledsoe right now. But, hey, you never know. I mean, Bledsoe had a decent career, too, while it lasted. But anyway, so let's move on. Again, I'm John Falco, uh, Fire Pit Hospitality, um, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, may- maybe not a flashy guy, but I got the job done. Um, like a Barkley, as, uh, as previously said in previous podcasts. But more importantly, I am here with the one man that I've been dying to interview, uh, Eric Isaac. So, Eric, now's your chance. Um, well, now in the next hour. Uh, <laughs> tell us about yourself, what you do, what you stand for. Not specific, just some wave tops here. And, uh, yeah. But you have a, a beautiful, beautiful resume. So, yes, that and then how, how it ties into where we're sitting right now. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, John. Um, I am – my name's Eric Isaac. I have lived in Miami my entire life, born and raised. And um, currently, I'm doing two things that I think are, I guess, relevant to what we're, we're talking about here. First, I'm uh, an adjunct professor at FIU in the Religious Studies Department, and I research spiritual abuse, um, which I'm pretty sure we'll talk about more um, in today's uh, podcast. And the second thing I do that's kind of of note is – actually done right here i actually pastor a church that meets in lincoln's brewery or lincoln's beard brewery complete with the giant skeleton 
and um, all the other artwork here <laughs> and all the rest of the characters. We're definitely the strangest church in Miami, uh, bar none. Um, and yes, it is a church. It's not a cult. We don't drink uh, snake's blood. Uh, we don't do anything else. We're pretty boring, actually, if you show up here on Sunday morning, which is what makes it so freaking weird. Um, but yeah, we're we're blessed to be here, and I'm really excited to be doing this. We've been talking about this for a minute. Yes, so. we have. We have. Um and and you're also a professor, of course. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a professor yeah. at FIU. Um, mm-hmm. I've been teaching there. January would be my third year there. Um, I love that. Um, I don't go around telling people I pastor a church. Actually, believe it or not, unlike most pastors, um, I that's that's kind of like my day job. That's what I do, uh, nine to five. I love it. Um, it's not really nine to five, but I um, I'm teaching four classes. One of them is on spiritual abuse. One of them is a intro class on like religious theory. Another one is a comparative like historical religious studies class and then one that's starting in the spring is actually a religion in anime class which i can't believe i'm allowed to do that's amazing but it's gonna be awesome so i'm really excited that's gonna fill up in about 12 seconds dude yeah absolutely oh my god (laughs) so okay so you mentioned spiritual abuse you know i I read some of the things you've written Mm -hmm. um one uh i mean i think we could all generally wrap our hands around what abuse is in general but one of the things I read uh, mm-hmm. that you spoke of is the difference, first of what is spiritual abuse and how does it relate to just abuse in general, say in the right. workplace, in a relationship, uh, wherever? Yeah, I'd say the, so there's, there's kind of two uh, spaces of thought on this. Um, and it's not really two, there's just one and then I'm proposing another one. Um, the first one is written um, by three scholars out of the UK. And they basically say it's any form of emotional or psychological uh, manipulation with within a, a, a spiritual context. So it's like using the Bible to manipulate or to coerce people would be an example within Christianity or using the Quran to do this within other spaces. I kind of divert from that a little bit because our background here and my background is like I'm Latino and I'm also like Israeli and like Iranian, like that, that kind of background. And the spiritual abuse that's been experienced historically is not just emotional or psychological. It's like you're going to be my slave or I'm going to murder you if you don't do X, Y, Z. And so the way I define spiritual abuse is any form of abuse that God or the sacred is presented as complicit or used to justify. Okay, yeah. So it's, and it's really complex, right? Because, so like the way I explain this to my students is kind of like this. You know, um, like sexual abuse is a horrible thing, right? Um, Like 20% of cases are someone you don't know. And that's horrible, like, fuck that guy forever right oh yeah um but it's worse if it's someone you know why because well you trusted that person you may have had some rapport with that person that might be a co-worker that might be a boss it's even worse if it's someone in your family well why because your family doesn't just you know you don't just trust your family they also help you know who you are it's even even worse if it's your mother or your father and why because well your parents tell you who you are and so it's it's that they're supposed to keep you safe, and they also tell you who you are, who you are. And so if they abuse you, it like messes with the very nature of of you, if that oh. makes sense. And so when I talk about spiritual abuse, it's like imagine for people who believe in a monotheistic God, if God is either used to justify the abuse or he's complicit in that abuse. That's like you want to talk about complex PTSD oh like that's goodness, yeah. <laughs> that's the beginning and the end of history abusing you <laughs> like get, get your mind around that you know that's a that's a really it's a really damaging phenomenon yeah <laughs>
thanks to our sponsor, Aganorsa Leaf Cigars. Aganorsa Leaf is renowned throughout the world for its signature flavor that possesses all the great attributes of Nicaraguan terroir, along with classic Cuban aroma and flavor. Aganorsa Leaf is pleased to announce a brand new edition of Guardian of the Farm, Cerberus, named after the mythical three-headed hound that stood watch at the gates of Hades. This exciting new Nicaraguan puro uses 100% Aganorsa leaf tobacco and is wrapped in Aganorsa's new Corojo 2012 cover leaf, which adds a level of complexity to the blend, adding light spice and a rich, smooth body to the blend. When you smoke one of our world-class blends, you will experience the difference between ordinary tobacco and Aganorsa leaf. That's why we say our leaf is our strength. Learn more about Aganorsa Leaf and use their store locator and find a cigar shop near you that carries their products at www.aganorsaleaf.com. The two of us smoke Aganorsa Leaf cigars often. We also offer them to a lot of our guests, like, for example, Dave Arvello, who every time I post a picture of a, a Cerberus mentions to me in my DMs or in a text how cool the band is, which it actually is a pretty slick-looking band. Um, but also... I just want to note a little personal anecdote here so it's not all totally straight up red. I can say that uh, Michael Beltran will absolutely not only vouch for the quality of Aganorsa cigars, yeah. but you met a uh, Miami legend and handed him an Aganorsa cigar. I did meet uh, uh, a Miami legend. I was smoking nearby Alonzo Morning, and we had a conversation about cigars, and he handed me one of his, and I went inside. I bought this exact same cigar, and I handed Alonzo Morning. This Aganorsa cigar, and I said, try this, thank me later. I mean, if that's not an endorsement, I don't know what is. Aganorsaleaf.com Thanks to our sponsor, The Barrel. This is a barrel-style cooker you've heard a good amount about on uh, the podcast. I was able to use it a ton in my yard and loved it. It is a unique design, a conversation piece, and most importantly, at least to me, an easy-to-use cooker with loads of capacity for ribs, chicharrón, chicken, cheese, fish, burgers, and that is just a list of the stuff that I was cooking all at once in a cooker not much wider than I am, although I'm pretty wide these days. Mike, not long ago, we took some time during a podcast to cook with the barrel in the garden behind Ariet, so tell listeners about uh, all of that while I roll some footage of the cook for the video people. Very intrigued by the design and how like the actual chicken was going to come out. I... Would have loved to actually cook more than one thing in there, but the chicken came out delicious. It was very quick, too. And we only didn't cook more because it was just the two of us at that point. Right. So Just the... Anyways, I think about it, too, like the home cook that's going to cook this, and maybe they have four people at a table. Maybe they have six. Like, you could cook a good amount of things because we also cooked some veg on there on the top grill, and then we cooked the chicken underneath it. You know, the vegetables were delicious, and they cooked incredibly fast, uh, and the chicken itself was delicious. We used a whole green circle bird. Um, trust tied and just hung that thing and it was really really good times get all of the information that you need and of course buy your own barrel at barrel the bbq.com barrel the bbq.com and use promo code pangong 10 that's p-a-n-c-o-n one zero for one hundred dollars off a hundred dollars of your order when you buy the barrel a hundred dollars a hundred dollars you know I saw a barrel the kids, I, the kids call it a, a c-note I <laughs> I saw the barrel at a place the other day. Oh, yeah. That's right. You sent me a picture. Yeah. And I was telling everyone around it that was looking at it. I said, don't buy it here. Don't buy, you, it. Don't you, buy it online. Don't be a dummy. And hit Pancon 10 and you're going to save yourself 100 bucks. Don't. I said, what? I said, yeah. 
do it. And they were like, be a sucker. And then the kid just run, ran out. Oh, man. He just ran straight out of the store. Peeled and, out in his car. Yeah. Straight to, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. He was on it. Barrel the BBQ.com promo code Pankong10 for $100 off. C note. Introducing the newest line from Jura State Cigars. 20 Acre Farm is a complex, refined, and medium body cigar with a super oaky and cedary notes accompanied by a whisper of white pepper and a bright hint of citrus. Built at La Gran Fabrica, Drew Estate in Nicaragua using a velvety, and I mean velvety, Ecuadorian Connecticut shade grown wrapper. Under that wrapper is a sun-grown Habano binder and a filler blend of Nicaraguan tobaccos from Esteli and Jalapa in perfect balance with the opulent and majestic Florida sun-grown leaf. Florida sun-grown is also the name of the farm where that tobacco is lovingly grown and harvested by Jeff Borshwicks, who's the guy you see in this video playing behind us, uh, on his pristine 20-acre plot of land near the central Florida town of Claremont. I have actually been to that farm, along with plenty of other cigar tobacco farms in Mexico, Central America, and the Dominican Republic, and what Jeff, who, by the way, is a very nice guy. There's actually a cigar box signed by Jeff hanging on my wall. Uh, what Jeff is doing there is super legit. Uh, so it's always cool to see products like his, which is the only premium cigar tobacco grown in Florida um, in products from a company like Drew Estate. Plus, 20 Acre Farm being a Drew Estate product means it's the creation of Master Blender and Pancom podcast guest, Willy Herrera. Support our guests and sponsors. Get it online. Ask your local cigar shop about 20 Acre Farm by Drew Estate. Learn more about Drew Estate and use their store locator to find a cigar shop near you that carries their products at DrewEstate.com. That's right. I'm probably going to smoke one of those right now. I, what are we waiting for? Dude, so how how did and and I I know some of these specifics and of course we don't have to go into too many specifics but if you're comfortable talking about it yeah how did you get here and to just to the uh, side of where we're sitting talking now preaching to a group of of people in the weirdest church in Miami yeah <laughs> and how does that relate to spiritual abuse to you personally yeah yeah I um I guess I'll go into my story a little bit sure, just a little as much as you're comfortable. Yeah, so I didn't grow up a Christian. I didn't grow up in church. I grew up like most Jews in Miami, I would contend, and maybe this is offensive, but my family at least <laughs> was very nominal Jewish. We were like reformed. Uh -huh. um, and so when I was like 15 or 16, I, um, I started going to a, a church. Um, and it was almost like I, I had some understanding of Judaism. And it's like, imagine, ironically, if you put up like Christmas lights, but you never plug them in. Yeah. Well, what I saw was that Jesus was kind of like plugging in all those Christmas lights of Judaism. It kind of fulfilled it for okay. me, at least when I understood it. So I, I became a Christian. When I was like 15 or 16. Um, and it was at a small uh, Baptist church that was really fundamentalist. And so at that church, um, the youth pastor who was, sounds like 15, 16, he, he left. And then me and my friends, some of which still lead with me here, I don't know, 14 years later or something. Yeah, good. Um, we, um, we, we kind of took over this this group and this church had had kind of two issues that that affected me that pushed me out the first one was there was an issue between a spanish congregation and an english congregation 
that when I look back on it now, it like seemed really racist um, <laughs> towards those Latinos. <laughs> um, and we were all, I mean, my parents didn't go to church, but we were all like second, third generation. So we were part of the English speaking deal. Mm -hmm. The other issue that happened was the guy who actually had shared with me about Jesus, and this is much more under wraps, had been like sexually harassing girls that I knew. Yikes. And these were minors because we were all minors. Oof. And so this kind of explodes. A big group of us leave to another big Baptist church because the thinking is when you're 19, like, this is bigger and more corporate. It'll be safer, which sounds yeah. so freaking stupid when I say yeah. it now. Like, Hindsight. Um, and I'm, I'm there for like exactly a year. Um, and it was like out of the fire into the frying pan because that was like, I think I had a 28 item to do list that was like, you do this or, you know, God hates you basically was what that was. And if you don't do this, here are all the bad negative consequences that will happen to you. Like I'll destroy your reputation. You'll never get a job. Um, you know, put school on the back burner and prioritize being an intern for free, which is like. Yeah, maybe in the corporate world you, you hear about these these internships. Well, it also exists in the religious world. But the thing about the religious world is, remember, the person who's telling you this speaks on behalf of God or at the very least teaches you about God. So yeah. God is presented as complicit in it. So after that, I go to another spot where I work for seven years. Um, I've never actually been a full-time pastor. And, and kind of like the whole vibe from the time I was 18 was like one day, me and my friends, we want to start our own church. So at that last church, I kind of honed my craft. Um, there's also some abuse stuff that happens there to me and some other folks who come here, but they asked me not to share. So I won't get sure. into details about yeah. that. And then we start meeting at my friend Doug Hale's house, like in his backyard at like 5 o'clock p.m. in like August, like four months after I resigned from this other church. And the first Sunday we're there, like 70 people show up and we're like, shit, we don't fit in the house. <laughs> <laughs> so about three months into it, we figure out who we are and... A couple of things kind of played out. The the first thing that we really wanted to be was we didn't we didn't want to be like other spaces, right? We wanted to kind of disrupt the church industrial complex, if you want to call it that. Yeah. And the best way to do that is to not be beholden to them financially. So we had to get this very spiritual term that's called "fuck you money." Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there's two ways of doing that. One way is by getting a bunch of money. The other way is by really reducing your expenses. Um, so we were looking for places to meet, which is honestly how I thought of this place, because I'd always have my birthday up there since like 2016 or 17, whatever the year was before we started. Big open area. Makes sense. Yeah. And so I was like, man, like, you know, first we went to like, uh, I think we went to like, uh, we went to like another church and they were like, it'll cost you like a grand a week. And I was like, for an hour? Like, yo, like, we're not trying to like compete with you. Like we kind of like we believe in the same God, but we really express that differently. Then we went to a movie theater that was like one five a week then we went to um i think we went to like a school which was around the same price it's like man like we're gonna blow six grand a month in rent like it's ridiculous what the hell like it's an hour a week like it's not that deep and then i showed up here and and i met with with one of the partners at the time i think still is a partner actually and she was like yeah are you guys a cult and we were like no we know we sound like it um but no we're, we're pretty you know we're pretty vanilla and pretty you know normal um and let's try it out and so we tried it out on december 28th which is a super weird day yes, <laughs> it's like right at the end of the year and a bunch of people showed up and it worked and then you know we, we said hey like can we meet here long term and we've met here every sunday since except for covid um yeah. and even then we met outside like in august of yes. 2020 oh my God, <laughs> which yes. was really rough <laughs> but but we did it right Dead. so so and that was that was really cool you know because that allows us to be generous like I don't know any other church that's fully financially transparent in Miami or really anywhere. 
And I don't know any other church that gives half of every dollar back to its people to go meet people's needs. So if there's someone who needs medical bills paid for, or we pay for a lot of people to get spiritual abuse therapy, because I'm kind of like the guy you reach out to now for that. Sure. Um, sure. I don't do the therapy, but I yeah. just say, find a licensed therapist and here's money. Right? <laughs> so that's kind of how that all happened. Yeah, and that's amazing. And speaking of, of your, fi- and I have uh, another question on this topic we'll, we'll get to in a second, but speaking of financial um, transparency, that's one thing that, and you sent me the links when, when mm-hmm. we hooked up to start discussing sitting down here together. Um, literal Excel spreadsheets or Google Docs yes. or whatever it is showing what money's coming in, what money's going out. And I've always thought that was absolutely amazing. Thank you. You know, yeah, I mean, I'm all for, you know, excuse me. I'm all for an organization being as transparent as they could possibly, regardless of what organization, certainly with the federal government, right. the state governments. By the way, all that banging is just the sound of stainless steel uh, <laughs> getting filled with beer. Everything's going to be okay. Someone's being but, sacrificed. Yes, exactly. Just decide, not a cult again, guys. Not a, not cult. a cult. Someone's just being sacrificed. <laughs> so, but yeah, that transparency uh, thing is fascinating. It should exist at, to some level, to the maximum level possible in any organization. Yeah. Um, I've always been a firm believer of that. Uh, but to get back to what you said, you said, you know, you went to a larger church thing and, hey, corporate larger should hypothetically be safer. Of course, there's this human nature or animal, animal nature, if you will, um, of preservation of power, right? Yeah. You want to, of course, we tend to use money as that resource because it's just a quantifiable resource here in the human, you know, in the, the, the human species. But, um, kind of leads to my next question of course having more money allows you to help more assuming you could still maintain that structure in the context of your own church Mm -hmm. or in the context of any church do you feel there's a maximum size whether that's resource or or um the 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 body of, of followers that a church can be before they're just inherently straying from yeah from god's scripture um i it's 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 hard to say right because it's like when you speak about like the new testament which would probably be the example of that you have like three thousand people becoming christians which means joining more or less like an underground faith community Mm -hmm. like day 41 of christianity being a thing post jesus's resurrection right so you're like okay well that's a big church of three thousand people therefore we can have big churches of three four five six seven thousand people right but you know at the time these people weren't like out and about meeting in like big empty cathedrals like they weren't meeting in the vatican like they were meeting mostly in homes maybe they were gathering publicly for for worship every once in a while but it wasn't what we conceptualize church of today so we talked about financial power another form of power that's a lot harder to manage is this thing called spiritual power and this is kind of like more on my my thesis so spiritual powers it's it's different than financial power because you can measure financial power and you can make laws for financial power um financial power is limited by hard resources spiritual power is more about social influence so you look around Miami and there's a bunch of pastors who have these really huge congregations. And when you look at what the centerpiece of what they're gathering around, they're gathering around that one guy. And they're gathering around his charisma because he shows up and he kills it every Sunday. And maybe he gets like two or three Sundays off a year or four. And, and it, without that guy, that thing would die. That's social capital, which yeah. I would contend is more powerful than financial capital. Oh, sure. Right? Sure. So I think, in, and I would never impose this on anyone but like for us at Neighborhood, we don't have any aims of becoming a big, massive megachurch. If we were to grow, we would probably send off like other splinter groups, not even to become satellite Neighborhood Church 2, like down south or up north or wherever, whatever other brewery or fire pit hospitality location we're going to meet yeah, at. Let's do it. <laughs> but 
we'd probably just let it be its own thing and just say, hey, like, you know, almost like, hey, dude, like, this is this is yours or this is you all's and you all own this together. And so go and do this down south and contextualize that down south. You know, it's yeah. and it's cool because I, I feel like there's a lot of maybe not a lot of parallels, but there's some parallels, right? Like when you all were starting Strange Beasts and then Maxwell Brothers. Sure. I heard you talk about a lot, you and all the other staff like the distinct cultural nuances of those places. So Palmetto Bay is night and day different than like Westchester, South Miami weirdness, which is what this is. Oh yeah. Versus Kendall, like where I grew up. And so you have to contextualize those businesses to those places. It's the same thing in churches. If I'm going to serve, you know, via in Westchester, for example, it's going to be different than, you know, folks who live in Palmetto Bay and come from a totally different background. Right. So I think it does have a, I think there is a maximum size functionally. Yeah. And if there isn't, what ends up happening is eventually that main guy, you know, does something that's really sus and suspicious with someone and gets caught in scandal or that main guy dies and then that church collapses. Yeah, so really what did you build? Yeah. yeah. And, and what is a church, right? Is a church, I show up and I hear this guy speak? No. A church is where, and, and this is what a lot of American Christians don't get. A church is not a show. A church is not a circus. It's a it's a group of people who are committing to follow God together in a space. It actually yeah. has very little to do with the person that's speaking on stage. If anything, you know, it, it has more to do with that 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 community, right? So I, I'd hope that neighborhood church is defined by that. And yeah. and I've taken steps here. Like I don't teach every Sunday. I teach half of the Sundays, which for like a year, three and a half, like church plant or whatever people want to call us, that's really weird and really rare. Just because, yeah. like, you know, you're the main guy, so you should be up there every Sunday. It's not that I don't want to work. It's just that the emphasis of the church is not me speaking up here, getting clout, like, you know, doing whatever these other folks do. Yeah, that, And that's funny because that was actually my next question, which is, you know, it's human nature. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we love social dynamics. You know, right. we're, we're kind of pack animals. And I, I think we definitely found it out during COVID. I know I did. Um, that I really needed outside engagement. Uh, but it's human nature to for those in your congregation to look at you mm-hmm. or any pastor, but in this case, it's, it's just uh, for you as an individual and f- see reverence and authority in you. One, you're, you're very likely uh, more educated on the scripture than them. Yeah. Um, you have certainly much, many more life appearances or uh, excuse me, life experiences. Uh, you know, so the note I made here was like, you know, Jesus r- rode his donkey into Jerusalem to, right. you know, as a sign of humility. Like, what's your donkey? Right. Is, is it not? And perhaps you just answer that. But um, well, yeah, I. So it's interesting about that story is Jesus rides his donkey into Jerusalem. And then three days later, those same people are like they have a choice between him and a murderer Barabbas. <laughs> and they're like, spare Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And then they end up murdering that guy yeah, like or yeah. being complicit in it. Sure. So I have a good like my academic mentor and my kind of like, I don't know, like a father figure type older pastor guy. He's not a pastor anymore. He, he just retired from, from FIU. His name is Dr. Joe Holbrook. And, um, we were talking about church and I was kind of hitting that, you know, when you start something and then you hit the end of your sweat equity and you're like, okay, I need to get other people involved because I just can't handle this anymore. Right. I kind of hit that wall. I was like 28. I had just started this and I, I mean, I didn't know that. And you're, and you're how old now? You're how old now? I'm 31. Okay. Ancient now. Ancient. Ancient. Oh, yes. Oh. yes, yes. <laughs> Way 30. older than me. For Way the, older the than you, Falco. Not the viewers. He just turned 25. Isn't he so cute? I know. Thank you. I just, you know, <laughs> I'm a fast charger. Hard charger. <laughs> but he, he tells, he was like, you know, Eric, um, he said, there's a scene in 
uh, Star Wars, like the good one, like the first three, right? And episode four, I guess it is now. And Luke is there, or sorry, and Obi-Wan is fighting Darth Vader. And Obi-Wan says, like, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you could ever imagine. And then he turns off his lightsaber and dies. And then you have the next three films where, like, Luke, Han, and Leia kind of take off and do even greater things, right? And you even have... So there's these things called archetypes. They're original models of behavior from which we determine what's right and wrong and normative and stuff. So, like, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, I'm going to die and resurrect and go be with the Father, and then you're going to do greater things than me, which is, like, the hell do you mean? You're literally God, right? Um, and so kind of what I've been trying to do, and this is a lot harder in the church world when you're not promising people full-time jobs and when most people... Most churches in the city are very suspicious of us because we meet in a brewery and they're still stuck in the 1920s prohibition nonsense. Yes, of course. And we're totally financially transparent. And when I left the last three churches, a bunch of people talked a lot of crap about me. But getting people to buy into that and then finding the Luke's, the Han, the Han Solo's and the Leia's to like kind of take over and yep. almost share that social power and decentralize myself. So like one thing I don't do at Neighborhood ever except on Easter is say, I'm Pastor Eric, the person who leads this. I just show up and I'm like... Today we're talking about this. <laughs> or like, hey, you all committed to be part of this like family and that's that's part of the reason why we're transparent. Like if you're gonna invest here, same thing if you're gonna like buy a business, right? That you wanna see the books. Well, this is what we're doing, right? So kind of that I guess if if, if there is a donkey, that's the donkey, right? It's it's almost turning off your lightsaber and letting other people do stuff. Even when you know, like I've been speaking publicly since I was fourteen years old and I'm thirty one, and now I get thirty hours a week of practice at FIU outside of this. Like, Amazing. Yeah. Other people are not going to have that experience, but you kind of lead the congregation and you lead people to say, hey, no, we're going to share this power between our group of guys and girls and we're going to give people the space to do that and it's not going to be the Eric show. And, and the reason why I did that is because all my heroes from when I was 16 till I was 27 and I left that last church, they're alive and they're breathing, but they're dead because mm. they got corrupted by that social power. Sure. And it's the them show. And if some dude shows up and I don't know, they get like Regina George and hit by a bus like in Mean Girls, like those churches probably die. And that's sad because then what's yeah. it really about? It's not about the congregation. It's about your abilities, which is nonsense. Yeah, I Th think. Thanks for spoiling Mean Girls, by the way. I've never seen it, but that's fine. Have you really that's not seen fine. Mean Girls? I never have. How never do you have. own this and I just, you haven't seen Mean Girls? <laughs> I, love how you just spent, I love how you just spent 10 minutes talking about important stuff and all I pull out is Mean Girls. But it's, it's, <laughs> you got to get closer to the mic. <laughs> That good? Is that very, nice, Nick? Uh, very Beltran. <laughs> and speaking of Beltran, uh, if, if we were dealing with our usual yeah. furniture budget, you'd be banging on like a loose plastic and metal table. Yes, <laughs> Unfortunately, this didn't. This didn't sound all that bad. Okay, okay, it's fine. Why we'll that in post? Why we'll <laughs> the clang in post? No, but uh, jokes aside. But speaking of Beltran, uh, you know him and Carlos and I, a perennial uh, Carlos Escanilla, perennial uh, Panko podcast all star, mm -hmm. yep. potential that's potential fair, Hall fair. of Famer someday, uh, up and coming, up and coming hard charger. Uh, we were talking about something uh, really important the other day that I feel like a lot of folks in, in, in our industry, in food and beverage, forget, which is that, and it's what you're hitting on there, is your work needs to be more important than you. Yeah. It is all you have. It is your legacy. It's the only thing that is going to continue past you, whether that work is your work with your children. Right. Or um, in this in this context... Your teachings, your presence, you know, the thought that the only proper way to run a church is the way in which you're running this church. Sure. Um, it's so important. And for, for Mike, every chef that he brings in, every front of house person that he brings in, right. that he impresses upon, 
on what they do. And for Carlos, obviously, who does amazing things, both, both as a therapist, very successful therapist, and a very successful uh, musician here in Miami. Um, and, of course, you know, me and my, my amazing team here and what we do with, with pizza and beer and, and cocktails coming soon. But um, it's so, so important to have that persist. Right. You know, and, and also by by pushing that focus and having an emphasis more on that work, you essentially do pull a little bit of that reverence, if you will, and that authority from yourself and that social power, as you're right. saying, that social value. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've always been, been an advocate of that. Now, the one question I've been looking forward to asking you here is, uh, and I just have it bluntly as this, why is your version of Christianity the correct one? Okay. Well, I wouldn't say that I have, like, the correct version of Christianity okay. in, in the sense of, like, here at Neighborhood Church, we do Christianity 100% right and everyone else is wrong. Sure. <laughs> I'm much more ecumenical in terms of, like, I'm more open to other forms of Christianity. So when you look at what Christianity is historically, and most Christians can't answer this, which is really embarrassing, it's kind of three things. It's um, you believe that there is a monotheistic God, so there's a God that exists outside of space and time. You believe in the divinity and humanity of Jesus. It's both 100%. I know that seems like a contradiction, but it's not. Just ask Christians historically. <laughs> and you believe in some sort of atonement theory. So, like, Jesus died for something for you. That's Christianity. Mm -hmm. That's, like, the Apostles' Creed in, like, the first or second century. And then the Reformation rediscovers and reholds onto you're saved not by any good thing you do. You're saved by grace. So it's a gift from God and through faith, which is trusting what God did for you through Jesus, right? Um, and so... When we look at our membership vows, like, what do you need to do to be a member of Neighborhood Church? You just need to affirm that. That's yeah. it. Now, is that the extent of our beliefs? No. Like, we're Reformed, and we hold to the Heidelberg Catechism, which is like 150 questions and then answers and, and all this stuff. And so if, if you're asking at, at, like, a practical level why we do what we do at, at Neighborhood, you know, outside of the theological reasons, which we could get into, like, God reveals himself in history and through his covenants, and so therefore we you know, join with believers throughout all of history in doing this. Like, that answer aside, which I feel like maybe wouldn't be fitting for most audiences because it's really boring, the reason why we do things the way we do is because a lot of us have experienced trauma in the church um, through spiritual abuse. Um, there's people at our church who have experienced sexual abuse, vocational abuse, uh, emotional abuse. Um, there's people who have been, like, ostracized because of their sexuality, regardless of where you're at on, like, the you know, non-binary or LGBTQ, like that community. And when we look at the church, it's like, okay, well, clearly something's really wrong here. And so we got together at this guy's backyard, who is here every Sunday, actually. Um, and we were like, okay, how do we build this in a way that's faithful to all the boring theological stuff that you kind of heard me describe very shortly, but that also doesn't manipulate or coerce people and doesn't try to control people? And so we landed at where we landed at, right? Like, there's no financial incentives to preserve power. Neighborhood church is not my job, thank God. Um, I get paid, like, a grand a month from it, which I could probably make more doing basically anything for the amount yeah. of money that, that, I, that, I, that I do that for. Um, the social incentives to preserve power are not there because most of the Christian world in Miami despises me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and anyone else who joins us, right? Like, our little gaggle of friends. Like, you all like us more and are more hospitable. That's not me blowing smoke up your ass. That's just... Sure facts you know sure, sure, yeah. um and and what that's allowed us to do is like there's this one home group that that meets and they have like wine and they they read the bible together right and so in that home group there are two boomer age white people who would vote for trump like the seventh time 
if he were to run. Sure. And in that same group of super conservative boomer age, um, like older conservative white people who believe in Jesus, that you heard me describe what Christianity is, there's also there's also like a gay girl in a committed lesbian relationship, and they love each other. Yeah. And I think that's a bigger. Like, how the hell does that happen? That doesn't happen anywhere. Like, yeah. in your family, you know, you have people on these two poles and they can't get over it. But these people say, yeah, despite our differences, we're going to practice actual tolerance because of the person and work of Jesus. Yeah. Like, I don't know that there's a better apologetic or argument for why we do church the way we do than, than that story. That or story. than, like, the multiple people who are like, I experience spiritual abuse at every church I've been to and now I'm an atheist, but I show up here every Sunday. I don't know why. Or I'm still a Christian and I've experienced abuse, but, like, yeah, I, it's different here for some reason, you know? And that's why we do what we do, ultimately, you know? And that's, and so I don't know that we have the correct version of Christianity, because that would be super narcissistic of me to say, like, sure, I have yeah. a monopoly on who God is. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't, right? Um, I have historical reasons. I have revelatory reasons. I have, you know, a robust theological and historical account I could give you, but practically that's why we shaped our church the way we did, you know? And... It hasn't died yet. <laughs> Honestly, like, still I wake up sometimes. Yeah, I'm like, this this still works? Like, yeah. I showed up on Sunday and didn't do a damn thing. It was the greatest feeling in the whole world. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to sit around and just have coffee and just, like, talk shit with Evan. Yeah. Which is so exactly what I did. It <laughs> sounds great. Yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> so, so it's funny because, you know, I feel like anyone that is doing something that, that by their standards they consider successful, mm -hmm. certainly what my team and I uh, do here, I would classify as mm -hmm. that. There's always that feel that you're going to show up one day and you're going to be the only one there. No one else is going to show up. Yeah. It's going to be me and, and these bartenders and these brewers and these, you know, cooks and these chefs just looking at each other going, well, you know, it was a good run. So I, so it's nice to see that you go through <laughs> the exact same general anxiety. Yeah. it's. A, I don't know if you have – I don't know if this is – that's not too personal to you. But, like, one of my nightmares that I have is that I show up to something and no one's there. Yeah, it's real. This is real. Yeah, and sometimes it's sometimes it's here. Sometimes it's FIU. Back when I used to work in the restaurant industry, it'd be like I show up to work without like my non-slip shoes or whatever nonsense <laughs> I need, and like that's my new like nightmare. But it's like you wake up every day and you're like, oh, I'm gonna choose courage and just show up. And yeah, you know, it's like it's weird because I don't know any other church that can faithfully say like, no, we don't want to be a mega church. Sure, we don't care if you give or not. Like I literally tell people, I don't give a shit if you give money to our church or not. I don't even care if you believe. Like if you want to show up, great. Like we'd love to have you, right? But that's so attractive because it's like, oh, you're not trying to control me? No. Why? Like, first of all, I don't have the resources to control you. This is not my full time job. And second of all, even if I did, like, to what end? Like, <laughs> for what reason would I ever do that? I'm not the one uh, <laughs> at the pearly gates per se, right? Yeah, and thank God, right? Because <laughs> if it was me. <laughs> it'd be bad for some people <laughs> so put yourself in the shoes of your for lack of I'm sure way better word enemies the folks that despise mm -hmm. you the folks that are out there that do not like what you're doing here for whatever reason right my enemigos your enemigos <laughs> are there any scripture based arguments that they or you and now in their shoes would use mm -hmm. to combat what you're doing here I think there's bad ones <laughs> okay um, the scripture-based arguments they would probably use is, so there's a big group of people who don't think that Christians should drink beer. And I, I, one of, you know, which is nonsense. Like Jesus literally made wine yeah. 
and it wasn't grape juice that was, he was the, underage he was underage too when he did that i think he was he? i mean it was the first century yeah. and like <laughs> occupied israel right. palestine and like I'm, the romans were oppressing them but you know you, like, you would drink at 16 at that age bro. oh yeah, I, yeah definitely I, mean, I was would. drinking at 14 in north carolina so that's right that's basically <laughs> no, occupied israel right. yeah exactly exactly um <laughs> so i think they would they would say that um a lot of people get on on us because we won't unless you are so so the christian story is not right this is what it's not it's not if you don't believe in jesus you will go to hell right like yes there is hell for people who you know commit sin and and yeah like belief in jesus is necessary to to go to heaven right but the reason why you change is not because god coerces you Mm -hmm. god's not like believe or burn that's not his appeal his appeal is you chose death and now I'm going to die to bring you life through the person and work of Christ, which is love, right? It's like, did I change you if I put a gun to your head and I tell you to stop doing something? Yeah. No, I, I manipulated you and abused you. God says, like a loving parent, right? Like when your daughter or whoever does something stupid, you're like, I'm going to love you and hopefully you won't be such like, you know, a disrespectful brat when you're 15 or an adult, right? So God basically does that in the ultimate act of love through Jesus. So one of the scriptures that people use against us is like, well, you will commune people who are not perfectly faithful and holy so they're living together before they're married or they might believe in some alternative you know uh sexual ethic that's not like the traditional christian one for example or uh there's people who smoke weed that go to our church i don't understand why this is controversial the bible doesn't speak to this issue but it does right (laughs) and they'll be like well you're not coercing those people so you're being too light on this um and they'll cite the scriptures about like a you know discipline in the church and what i would respond to them is like listen man like those those verses about discipline in the church are almost exclusively applied in spaces where someone is abusing or manipulating their power to control somewhere else someone else spiritual abuse is not a new idea it's a first it's older than the first century ad right it it goes way back so they would get on us for that another thing they get on us for is that i'm not full-time people leave our church over that Um, okay yeah that happens quite a bit actually they're like what do you mean you're so talented and all this stuff and i'm like stop like, this is why people abuse people, because idiots like you gas these guys up, and they're not self-aware enough to realize, like, all the implications of that. Sure. And so they'll be like, well, you shouldn't give half of your money away. You should give it to your pastor and, and this and this and that. And I'm flattered by that. But there's, like, a, there's a verse in the Bible that says, like, a worker is worth his wage, or don't muzzle an ox while it treads, you know, the grain and stuff like that. And, and they'll use that. So people like that, you know, will do things like that. One of the churches that I left, the lead pastor called our transparency a manifesto against the established order of churches. Which That's pretty accurate, actually. I had actually, yeah. I mean, it was the <laughs> greatest compliment ever. He said it screaming at me, but that was fine. <laughs> you know, like, and so I think those are the things they would say, honestly. But, like, again, when you get the F you money of, like, we don't really need you all. Yeah. Like, we want to be theologically accountable to a denomination, but, sure. like, we don't we don't really want any money from them like why would we need it you know um and that, that makes the nominations look at us super weird like why what do you mean you don't want our money and it's like i don't want you to exploit us or i don't want you to like what are you gonna do charge us two percent of our annual revenue it's sixteen hundred dollars like yeah. seriously <laughs> like anyway so that would kind of be the thing you know uh, we're, we're way more pro women than a lot of churches are too so yeah that's overtly at least yeah yeah, yeah and it's so, like yeah. we have women deacons which is like you know, it's almost like it'd be like having women in Congress, but a lot of churches are stuck like in the 1800s, even yeah. though there's women deacons in the Bible. But we don't want to talk about that, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> it definitely more con- about. It'd, be, it'd be more controversial in the first century than it was now. Trust me. In Rome and in Israel back in the day, women were treated as property and their testimonies weren't admissible in court. So 
Yeah. Sorry for my Actually, long-winded in, answer. In, in the early early United States, that was the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, I believe it was John Adams' wife uh, that fought fought for that changing. But um, so uh, so speaking of which, so mm-hmm. um, obviously you know I, I, I so full disclosure, not that this matters, which why I haven't mentioned it, right? So I grew up uh, Catholic. Yeah. I was born in a Catholic family. My my um, mother still uh, very devout Catholic. I was confer- communing confirmed. Um, eventually. Uh, uh, kind of bounced around in the military a little bit and just, you know, non-denominational church there in the military kind mm-hmm. of bounced around. Ultimately, for whatever reason, kind of grew away from it. Yeah. Not really relevant to this conversation, but uh, I certainly wouldn't consider myself a Christian now. But when I was going to, to church, um, a lot of a lot of the point was, hey, it's got to be external as well, right? So, yes, you want to have your relationship with Jesus, but you got to go out there and proselytize, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where do you stand on on the uh, one the necessity of that and and in almost a practical sense how how much should someone be doing it do, do you impress upon your congregation here hey go now and and be fruitful and and you know start knocking on some proverbial doors I mean right. or, or is it more of a hey listen build it and they will come kind of philosophy what, what's your stance on this it's it's more of a embody it and they will come philosophy so what I would encourage people to do is like one of the things that makes Protestants different from Catholics is in Catholicism, historically, there's holy work. So like priests and deacons and all those people. Sure. And there's non-holy work. So one of the things that Martin Luther and the reformers in the 15th, 16th century emphasize is like, it's called the priesthood of all believers. So if owning a brewery is your full-time job, you're not doing that just for you. You're doing that to serve God. So have a, when I say Christian, don't hear like American Christianity that's abusive. Have like a faithful to the scriptures style of leadership and work philosophy and work environment in your home and in your job and all those things. So that's kind of our philosophy. Like, you know, there's one guy at our church, his name is Scott. He owns Land Keepers, which is like a, a really good, like lawn mowing service for houses. And it's like, what I would tell him is, Hey, with your employees and with the houses you serve, like don't knock on their door and say like, I cut your grass, believe in Jesus, but like live an ethical life and, and live a good life in response to all that Jesus has done for you. And then other people will naturally be attracted to that. Yeah. I guess I could give myself as an example. At FIU, I don't walk around telling people I'm a Christian or a pastor. I actually live-action role-play an atheist in all of my classes, and I sell that shit. <laughs> um, and then the last day, I tell them, hey, if you find out before the last day of the semester, you can't out me or I'll fail you. I've never had to fail anyone. Um, but, you know, I'll tell you what religion I am, and I'll tell you what I do. And then I pull up neighborhood church, and they're like, what the hell, you're a Christian and a pastor? That's ridiculous. Most people think I'm an, I'm Islamic or something else, probably because I look Middle Eastern, which is kind of racist, but whatever, you know, I'll let it slide. And I've had people, you know, say, wow, this is a really compelling argument because you're such a kind, gracious person. Um, and that's kind of what I would say in terms of proselytization or evangelism is what Christians would yeah, call yeah, it. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, I don't think that someone sharing their faith is bad. There's a lot of people who have that take. I think that's nonsense. Because everyone, to some extent, is religious, right? Like, you might not be a part of a religion, but you have a hierarchy of values, and then you use that hierarchy of values to make value judgments on what matters and what doesn't matter, and to navigate your way through the world. So, functionally, whatever's at the top of that value structure is your god. And that could be, like, you're a simp, so it's someone that doesn't like you, or you're, like, you know, a workaholic, so it's your job, or it's your family. It's normally good things, right? Uh, Maybe not being a simp. (laughs) but you simp worshippers out there. Yeah, 
Straight to hell. Looking at you, Nick. <laughs> Actually, I don't know why. <laughs> don't do Nick like that, bro. Someone's got to beat up Nick with I, Mike and I here. I like that it's not just that I'm a simp. I'm a simp worshiper. Simp. A simp worshiper. So he, like, bows down to the people who bow down <laughs> oh, wow. to women who don't love them. Simp of simps. <laughs> yeah. New Instagram bio. So, so that's what I would do in terms of proselytization. I think a lot of, you know, examples of people sharing their faith tend to be manipulative or coercive, which I would say is abuse, especially within Christianity, because our God doesn't manipulate or abuse people, right? Um, he doesn't use force to change you. He self-identifies as love, and then he says this love is going to actually transform you from a self-interested, self-preserving creature who does evil to something that's good. So it's kind of like go and do the same, right? Um, so that's that would kind of be my answer to that, and that's what you'll hear here every Sunday. I'm never going to be like, go knock on doors. That's normally... Yeah. On L. The only time we've ever knocked on doors is like when someone tells us like, hey, my neighbor has cancer and they can't afford their medical bills. So um, we want to go give them this check. And we have a policy where like more than one person has to go and bring them that check. And it's not like a happy Gilmore check. You'll never see anything like that on our Instagram. Um, it's more of just like financial accountability. We don't want people walking around with sure. With we, we want more people than just one guy representing the church or one girl, right? So that goes back to what you previously said. You know, when it comes, out, it just makes more sense. If it's just you, they're like, oh, you know, I'm getting it from him. Yeah, regardless of who the you know the from line is. Yeah, and our, and our model is very much like we give back to our congregation so that they can go and meet people's needs. People come to neighborhood and they're really surprised because they're like, wait a second, I have to be around people who don't politically align with me. I have to be around people who are different than me. And I have to be around my ideological enemies, and I have to be around young people if I'm an old person, or old people if I'm a young person. And then I'm like, yes, that is the best thing for you, because how else will you understand Jesus dying for sinners and loving them like you, by the way, if you don't actually put that into practice and love and tolerate and become family with people who are really different than you? Yeah. What's weird about neighborhood is it's one of the least polarized spaces in Miami, and not because we don't have, like, like there's that person who would vote for Trump the seventh time, and then there's also like an unironic communist at our church and they love each other like straight up like That's i impressive. he showed That's up to impressive. my house on sunday and i was like i bought him like two books from lenin as a gift <laughs> it's like, a tough city to be a communist in it really That's, is uh, yeah i'm impressed with him actually he's it was cool about him he's not radical right and i think it's because of the christian influence he's like i'm not going to use violence to change people which is you know if you read the manifesto it's kind of what marx advocates oh, sure, for sure yeah so, <laughs> anyway sorry that's someone I was talking with some friends about the other day. You know, that, like, um, obviously being someone who's spent the strong majority of my life here in Miami, I, mm -hmm. I'm not a, a Cuban, but virtually all my friends are, of course. Um, we, I feel like we have this view in Miami where, well, certainly, of course, Fidel Castro and the regime, not, not right, to right. jump topics here, but Fidel Castro and the regime is a, a, an absolutely, it's a, they're an enemy to humanity. Right. Um, it doesn't take much digging to realize that to be what I would call an objective truth. But you step foot out of South Florida and like Fidel Castro and Chicago, they're folk heroes. Right. And it's amazing to me. And I, I really I, I was totally ignorant to that fact until the, the latest, you know, fight for freedom from the Cuban people most recently happened. And I remember pulling up, you know, uh, all the major news organizations, websites, see. And there was nothing on the front page. Right. And I was like, holy cow. Here we are 90 miles away from our southernmost point, And no one gives a shit. Right. You know, so it's up, just another pissed off Latin culture, you know, which in their defense, you know, like every third day there's a coup in, in Central South America. I get it. Right. You know, uh, we're, we're a fiery people. But 
it was just shocking to me. And that, that was the day where in my heart, I'm like, oh, my God, we got to do more. We got to be louder down here in South Florida, you know. Right. But uh, really, 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 and again, it's a bit off topic. But but to get back to uh, or to jump, jump around a little mm-hmm. bit here, I want to look at some uh, kind of just practical examples I think we need to talk about. One, yeah. I spoke to a lot of people before I sat down with you and folks that didn't know you, a lot of them said, oh, ask them about. Ask him about tax relief. Tax relief. So tax relief. <laughs> I know we're jumping around. Tax relief. This is pretty all the place, but for, I like it. <laughs> for spiritual organizations. Mm-hmm. Like what's your general stance? You know, because listen, I, I'm not, I, I'm not, uh, uh, I won't consider myself a Christian, but, you know, I see the value that churches do, of all denominations, do for, um, for the community. They right. bring a lot of people and a lot of money together for good. Maybe not. Always, of course, as we've discussed in this podcast, but they are really the tip of the spear here in the United States. Yeah. So, but what's your general stance on that? I think it's, uh, so I, I'm not the hugest fan of John Oliver, but if it's about church and abuse, I've seen it. So he has a special on churches and tax relief and like Joel Osteen and a bunch of these. Oh, yeah. big, fan. big fan of Joel Osteen. That's super cringe, that bro. Cringe. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can even say that with a straight face, bro. It's just bro. the hair. It's, it's the just hair. The hair. <laughs> he is kind of cute for an old guy. Yeah. It's, but, I like the fact that he stores money inside of his walls. I like his the, plumber finds. Did you hear about that story? I did hear about that. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've actually started like digging holes in your wall in the bathroom here on Sunday <laughs> yeah, mornings. Are you, are you storing money <laughs> in the bathroom? <laughs> no, um, no. People just punch holes. That's They're looking for money, maybe. It's that does <laughs> happen often. <laughs> Um, so my, my, my actual perspective on that is that it gets abused a lot. Um, and I'd say it gets abused in two ways. There's the obvious way of like, uh, I think his name is Pat Robinson, or you look at Jerry Falwell Sr., or some of these folks who obviously abuse the Christian faith to manipulate people to giving them money so that they can make like $300 million a year and have net worths that are insane. Those are not churches. Those are businesses. Sure. Um, and they should be taxed properly right um but the issue is is that so a 501c3 will file a form 990 um and so they have to disclose where they're putting broadly speaking where they're putting their money what the top five like earners are so churches don't have to file that they follow what's called they file what's called a 990c um and that c stands for church um or concealed is what i call it and so you get to hide all that data which is why churches benefit like a 501c3 but they don't have any of the transparency Wow. Right? Um, and not a lot of people know that. What's the justification there? I'm sure you dug that. Is there a justification I, there? The justification is, is America, the majority religion in America for a long time was like Protestantism. And so, you know, you, you have a lot of people who are being elected representatives that want to protect their interests at their churches. Because yeah. people have been historically very religious, right? Sure. Um, and so people, of course, find that and they exploit that. The second way I think that gets abused, that's the obvious way, right? Sure. Second way it gets abused is you go to church and there will be a guy standing on stage, normally the pastor, and he'll say, now it's time for us to give, right? And so they'll pass around the plate and that whole thing. We don't do that here at Neighborhood Church. Um, if you want to give, it's 2022. Use your thumbs. Go online. Like, you can do that, right? Sure. I think we've talked about giving once at, like, a members meeting in the back. Like, hey, this is how you do this. Just letting you know. But um, they'll say something that's, that's actually really biblical, right? So Christians are not required to give 10% of their income. Um, they're supposed to give as, essentially, they see Jesus giving to them which is very open-ended, right? Intentionally yeah. by design. And they'll say that, and then and then they'll say, okay, as an individual, are you giving to church? Are you giving to the poor? Are you giving to the needy? And then if you were to teach the church as an individual, they're not holding the organization to the same standard. 
So they'll say, John Falco, like, you know, Michelle, show up. All right. Well, like, give 10% of your income or give some amount. But then you look at the church's finances, if you even can see it, and they're not being generous. Like, 60% of their income is going to a pastor who's making, like, 140 k a year at getting taxed on 60% of that, that number that has a parish. So, you know, like, the church is paying for the house. There's paying no property taxes on that. You're saving a bunch of money. Yeah. And I think that's, it's, it's not an abuse, but it's very manipulative and very sneaky. So I think those tax reliefs should exist for churches, but churches should just get lumped into, instead of the 990C, they should get lumped into the 990 where they have to disclose their finances. And not like churches do where they put the numbers they want to put up and they say, well, you know, the head pastor of this church also works for a 501c3 that he's the president of and he gets another 100k from that. So we're giving 25% of our church finances to charity when really it's just like a shell game, right? Yeah. Like Self-licking ice cream cone, as we call it. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. So I think it should exist. 100% it should exist for churches that are actually charitable. We give half of our money away and we're more charitable than a lot of charities. So it wouldn't affect me at all. Yeah. Like zero. I don't take any of the pastor exemptions on like the 900 to to $1,000 I'm, a month I make from the massive amount of work I do here at Neighborhood Church either. So, you know, because why would I give up my social security, which is another thing pastors get roped into. Anyway. <laughs> so... um Speaking of uh, uh, religion and government, so Mm -hmm. I'd be remiss if I did not, of course, bring up the most powerful, uh, uh, you know, movement um, by, say, the religious right right now, which is Uh abortion, abortion Mm -hmm. rights. And and furthermore, uh, um, separation of church and state. Um, What is your feel on how the government should be involved in determining, you know, the 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 legality or illegality of abortion and whatnot in general what's your you're not not necessarily personally sure um your personal stance i mean that that's very private of course but um what's your what's your feel yeah my feel is is that so the right in america i don't think actually gives a damn about christians i think they the right exploits them using spiritual language right okay um and what's interesting about it is if you look at the Abrahamic faiths, so Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, one of those three Abrahamic faiths is very explicitly about separation of church and state. And that's Christianity. But if you grew up in America, you're like, what the hell do you mean? <laughs> right? Yeah, because you look at the religious right, that's like, that should be an oxymoron, right? In, in Islam, you know, the, the church and the state, or the mosque and the state, or whatever you want to call it, they're merged. In Judaism, there's a case to do that, Right? In Christianity, there is zero case for a Christian state. It doesn't make sense. Our scripture was not canonized or wasn't even written at a time when that was possible, right? Like Christians were being persecuted in, 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 in their minds. So the idea that Christians would form a Christian majority and then use coercive force, because that's what the government is, a giant corporation that has a monopoly on violence, coercive force, do this or, to legalize or illegalize abortion or to make illegal abortion is ridiculous and absurd. Um, personally, do I think Christians should be pro-life? Yeah, I think Christians should be pro-life. I just don't think they should use the government to impose that on people. I also don't think they should go up to someone who had an abortion, which is, if you've ever talked to anyone who's had an abortion, it's normally not like what the right will say, which is like, oh, well, it was a matter of convenience and they just wanted to be a baby mama or some racist nonsense like that. It's normally a really tough situation that a a young person is in. Um, And when I say Christians should be pro-life, what I mean is like, hey, like, in the first century, for example, which is kind of seen as normative for a lot of churches, there was abortion because people knew if you did X, Y, Z and you were pregnant, that baby would die. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times they would have the baby, right? 
Um, and what churches would do is they would take those orphans and they would raise them. There's tons of stories from the early church of doing that. If anything, I think Christians, if they want to be pro-life, which I think there's a great argument for them to be, it shouldn't be coercive. It shouldn't be through government force. It shouldn't be through... Um, I said this in a sermon here and it pissed a lot of people off and people left. Sure. Like, remember when... Um, Remember when a bunch of conservatives who were probably Christians wanted, um, what's her name, Ruth Bader Ginsburg to die mm-hmm. so that they could preserve the lives of the unborns? And then remember later Donald Trump got COVID, who's an old man and is a degenerate bastard. But you get the idea, right? Like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, very spicy for a pastor to say in Miami, but whatever, right? Yeah, um, right? I don't have to like him. He's not God. And if he is, then you're a Christian. That's an idol. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so a bunch of younger progressive Christians, which is a thing, right? Um, they wanted that old man to die so that they could save the lives of migrants at the border. And what I said on Sunday morning is like, hey, look, I think you're advocating for a good thing, both of you. You're advocating for people who are in the womb in your religious perspective. That's a valid point. And if you're going to like attack Christians for being pro-life, like welcome to the world of like Islamophobia and welcome to the world of like anti-Semitism because most conservative Jews and um, the vast majority of the Islamic world are very pro-life. It makes mm-hmm. sense within the mythology of those religions, right? Sure. Um, but if you're going to advocate for that good thing, or you're going to advocate for migrants at the border, and you're going to do that by wishing of Yeha or of Yeho, like an old person's death to achieve it, congratulations, you've become the evil that's done to you. You're invoking murder to preserve life. Like, you've become, you've become a monster, right? Um, and I said that, and it pissed everyone off, which was why I knew it was good and right you know um yes and so that's what i would say like christians yeah be pro-life if that's what you want to be but number one don't coerce people to do that don't try to force it on them through the government and if you have like for example in the church this is a very hot topic issue um you know like if you have differences of opinion on this like don't let that divide you you know and it's very easy to just hide behind it's murder or you're you know harming a woman's right to choose or something like that but i don't think christians should be as politically active as christians have been in the u.s historically that's not us and whenever you give christians historical power really bad stuff happens like the crusades and essentially europe <laughs> for like a long time um and, and other examples of that like marjorie taylor green lauren bobert yeah yeah you have all yeah. jerry Falwell yeah. jr jerry being Fowell, a, jr. <laughs> a literal cuckold in the corner that that's not me being vulgar that that's just facts. fantastic by the way. that he, guy's great he's like that's a meme great. in the worst every way. time i see an article about him i always read it you know the guy yeah. that he was having do that stuff with his wife was from miami beach of course Miami Beach. There it is, bro. Miami. Biggest talents. Funkum Podcast. Here we are. <laughs> Can so we get that guy on Funkum Podcast? If uh, you were Jerry Falwell's pool boy, it's info at DadeMag.com. <laughs> Email us to book a guest spot here at Lincoln. Please Beer, let me and Falco interview him. <laughs> yes, I'd love to. So I, actually, Nick, um, you and I have had many, many religious conversations. Any questions from, uh, from the peanut gallery? What's your feel? Oh, man. I, I, we could be here a long time. Uh, for for context, and especially with like some of the stuff that you were saying more recently, this isn't really so much a question, but I'm trying to think of like if I had to make a contribution here, what would it be? I am both. I joked in our group text uh, earlier, a Shiite Catholic, and <laughs> and a total anarcho capitalist. Mm-hmm. Just to stick to, I'll, I'll ask two questions. You can spend as much time as you want on them, and then I'll like totally bow out because I know we kind of talked to keeping it to sub Beltran length for this episode. <laughs> bro, I don't know what uh, Beltran did to deserve this, bro. But no, you have no idea. You have no idea. Oh God! Um, <laughs> Come to so, go to neighborhood. <laughs> uh, Falco earlier asked about. Um, you said scripture specifically, but I'll broaden it to like theological 
mm-hmm. gripes people might have with the church, far and away the biggest denomination in the world is Catholicism, mm-hmm. which has no problem with alcohol mm-hmm. and whose priests, if they don't take vows of poverty, uh, make commitments to something like it. So sticking to the theological, because of course there's a lot of your church is a reaction to abuse, which of course exists particularly right. famously in Catholicism, but I'd be curious to hear what some of the theological gripes from Catholics might be, because whether it's Catholics or the Presbyterians who are theologically pretty similar to Catholicism and so mm-hmm. on, like I think Catholicism is in a lot of ways maybe more representative of the sort of theologies that you exist as an alternative to. Yeah. Uh, so I'd be curious to hear that. And then, again, going back to the my, my Shiite Catholicism and my, my anarcho-capitalism, <laughs> I, I agree with you that I tactically I prefer, I, I'm not particularly um, excited by the idea of like uh, efforts to illegalize abortion just because mm-hmm. I don't think that that's necessarily the best way to reduce abortion. Sure. But you're also saying that people that, that Christians should be pro-life. So I'm curious to know, like, where do you draw that line if it's not coming? And I don't know, maybe it is. But if it's not coming from something like anarchism, right? If the argument is, well, you should be pro-life because this is a life that ought to be defended. What is the limiting principle there? What is the principle that takes you from murder should be illegal of a person who has been born for a day or more? Right. But if we're arguing that you should be pro-life because you want to protect this life, what is the... What's the moral case, or what is the objection to people wanting to do that through legal mechanisms? I guess we'll answer the second one sure, yeah. first, because it's more, I think it's a more complex, nuanced question. Um, I think when I say Christians should be pro-life, I don't mean Christians should be pro-life in the classic, like, right way of, like, well, they're born and then screw them, right? Um, I think they should be, like, from the womb to the tomb type thing, right? Sure. So all across the board. Um, part of the Abrahamic creation story, which is why I felt very comfortable saying, like, with the exception of super progressive Bernie Sanders type Jews in America, which is a very large population in the Northeast, not in Miami. Um, but like, you know, with the exception of them, so Christianity, Islam, and Judaism have the same creation story. And a lot of people look at that creation story of, you know, seven days and that whole thing. And they say, well, this is a literal story and I'm going to read this like a science book which is dumb as hell because science didn't exist at the time. It's a creation myth that's used to establish ontological, so like my nature, why I matter, realities. The message of Genesis 1 and 2 is not, you know, uh, how God created the world, it's that God created the world and God created people and therefore people have values. If you take that story and you like squeeze out all the meaning of it, you get the basis for civil liberties, like almost entirely. And so it's based on that argument that I would say, yeah, Christians should be pro-life, not just in terms of like we should restrict and fight abortion and protest medical clinics like christians shouldn't use coercion to change the world they should use love to change the world it's a really weird ethic but christianity needs to be weird again in order for it to be what what it's supposed to be right but is the argument then that christians should be opposed to any kind of state or government like intervention right Um, because the question was specifically about abortion yeah so to broaden it to yeah i would say that christians so in the new testament in the book of romans uh Paul talks about how uh, God puts these magistrates, these political rulers, over you. And these are magistrates that are abusing them, right? Um, And a lot of other people at the time. It's Rome. They weren't exactly known for being nice people. Um, And what he says is basically God is in control of that. You take your sphere of influence around you locally as whatever you would be in the first century, wherever you were, and you operate in that space. 
If anything, I think there's more of a historic argument for Christians not to be apolitical, but to not see the primary vehicle of social change as politics because it is coercive. By its very nature, politics has to be coercive, right. which is I, a function of the state, right? But, but, but what I'm saying is that you, it, it's, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's mm-hmm. sound, and mind you, I would say that my Catholicism and my Christianity are at the heart of, like, it is because I'm a Christian right. that I am an anarchist, that I think that the state is inherently evil. So I, I'm very comfortable saying that. Yeah. Whether, whether it's to illegalize outright murder of an adult, right, or at, at some point or another, you are coercing other people to fund your pointing guns at third parties... Right. Whatever. So I'm comfortable saying that. It's also like, you know, we live in the real world, so I'm not out there, like, picketing the investigation of murders. Right. But, <laughs> so, you know, but... If, People if, do that. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, it, it sounded earlier, like you were saying, that, that there's something uh, incorrect, if not unacceptable, about lobbying for government to use force to stop abortions. So my question would be, what is the underlying principle there and what are the implications either for how it's similar or different to whether you would object to Christians lobbying for government to stop any number of other things that you may or may not agree ought to be stopped? Yeah, I think I think it's nuanced and by the issue, but generally speaking, you know, the idea of separation of church and state is a Christian idea um, that secularists take in the 1600s in response to like the 30 years war and then they run with it and then they replace a religious identity with a political identity and so you get nationalism right that's kind of the, the the flow of things and so i would say the christian ethic it exists at a local level and yeah it might inform your politics but like i don't think pastors in their who are, who are doing what they're supposed to be doing or i don't think christians who are doing what they're supposed to be doing should be getting up here and saying you need to vote this way like and 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 that's a really hard thing to say right because you have examples. The U.S. is weird because it would be like it would be like taking a text that was written in the first century in an autocracy and then saying, based on this text, let me bind your conscience so that you have to vote one way or another in a democracy. It, the text doesn't it doesn't speak to it. Now, in Christianity, you have this thing called like you have this thing called Christian liberty, which is far more broad than people like to give it credit for, and that includes politics. There are progressive Christians who vote a certain way because of that. Personally, like being super real with you, I'm not that way. There are conservative Christians who vote that way because of their religion. Personally, I, I don't do that either, you know. Um, so it really isn't an issue that people are free to do. I'm not going to sit here in my church and be like, hey, you progressive, like you're wrong for wanting the government to change these things. I mean, I'm not going to say that to a, a conservative. So functionally, you know, Christianity is a system that, if you're a Christian, certainly transcends the American political system. But if you're not a Christian... It's still historically a religion that transcends the American political system, sure, yeah. you know. So it's not like I think Christians should should do should do one or the other. I just think I get really suspicious when Christians, progressive or conservative, try to use the government to coerce people to change to institute a theocracy because that's not our faith. That's certainly other Abrahamic faiths, but that's not Christianity. Do you think that that's a particularly is that a problem of Christianity or religion in general? I, it just seems like, and especially like in the last however many few years, it seems like it's more a symptom of a problem that includes mm-hmm. but isn't of religion, just that people are very comfortable turning to the biggest, most powerful institution to solve the problem, at least supposedly like immediately, right? Yeah. Like whether, it, even in like secular movements, we could look to um, 
whatever, name the one that you want that gets you, you know, most interested from the last, like, four years. Right. Uh, it seems to me like that's a – it's just something that religious Christians uh, or, or religious people of, of whatever movement on any issue just kind of fall into that's true broadly in our politics, right? That people uh, – nobody wants to take the time to persuade anybody. Right. It's a lot easier to say, like – we're just going to vote this one day and then not think about it and just accept whatever awful things happen in our name and in the name of these decisions we've made. So I wonder whether it's, I wonder whether that's like a, a if not an incorrect, maybe like a, only a partial diagnosis of the problem. Yeah, well, historically, so there's these things, there's two types of religions. In America, what we see as normative is something called a voluntary religion. A voluntary religion is I have to or someone else in my place has to give consent for me to belong. So you're a kid, you go to Catholic church, and your parents are giving consent for you to belong, right? Islam works that way, Christianity works that way, uh, Buddhism works that way. But historically, most religions are what's called natural religions. So kind of like you can think of Judaism or the Amish or uh, Hinduism originally was like this. Like, I am born into this system. So in natural religions, what has always justified political powers religious narratives and so you know you look at like the roman system and the greek system perfectly mirrored their pantheons and especially with like you know you look at like late like classic greek history um and so you have christianity come on the scene and you have jesus say give to caesar what is caesar's it's fine pay your taxes it's cool you have a bigger mission you're changing the world in a different way right um, you, you, you have like Christianity in the first century, like a lot of times straight up disobeying their, their political rulers. And so, you know, I don't, I don't particularly think that the Christians ought to be nearly as political as they should be. And that's a really hot take from a pastor because most pastors would either be like what you've seen a lot of Episcopal and, and progressive churches where they would just be like, yeah, like we're just the DNC and we're using, uh, spiritual language to justify this so that it sounds super pretty or what you see mostly in miami because of the population and these pastors want to actually pay the bills you see that on the conservative side what we're doing here i think is much more faithful to the first century where, where it's like yeah like those things are fine and great and they're necessary they're necessities of life but give to caesar give to the state what is the states and go and live your christian life out right like you believe in a new earth and you believe in all these things that are going to come because of christ so go and live that ethic and and, and you know that that's the number one reason why people don't come to neighborhood or why they leave our, our church is because I won't play that game and it really pisses people off. And then I'll put like conservative boomers in the pulpit and I'll put like super young progressive people in the pulpit, which is where you preach from. And and people will be very perplexed because it's kind of transcending that binary, if that makes sense. So I, I don't know. I, I hope that answers your question, <laughs> but, sort of. you know, and 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 to get to the, the, the Catholicism thing, I think the main theological gripes they would have with us um would be we deny papal infallibility so that means the pope always speaks is the mouthpiece of god we do not see that that on way some things. yeah on, on some things a pretty uh, limited scope of things yeah so that would be a big difference between us because we're protestant right? right so um we wouldn't do that um we would deny a central like piece of of like with the clergy and how that works um so uh you know, Catholics will say something to the effect of like, well, you know, priests ought to be celibate and things like this, which has gone on and off throughout history. Even now it's on and off throughout history. Like if I were to just become Catholic, I could stay married, which is like, I would talk so much shit to the other priests. Like, yo, guess what I could do. <laughs> um, but like, you know, 
I think there's that. I think the priesthood of all believers is a big one. Um, but the main one would be this. Um, in Catholicism, Christ dies for you, and then you need to prove your faith through good works. And it's almost like Jesus dies, and then you have to do X amount of good things, right, um, in order to achieve salvation. Uh, we wouldn't say that. We would say that Christ's sacrifice is absolutely enough. And if you've believed in that, then that love has changed you from whatever you used to be, a sinner, an evil person, a self-interested person, to a new creation. That's very Martin Luther, right? Um, and so it's not that you do good things in order to get God's love or to get rewards in heaven. It's that God gives you freely all of his love in Jesus. And now that transforms you so that you do good things. And it's hard because, you know, and, and I'm not levering, you know, a lot of Protestants will say something like, oh, Catholics aren't Christians. That's also a lie because, sure, yeah. yeah, do Catholics believe in monotheism? Do they believe in an atonement theory? Do they believe in the divinity and humanity of Jesus? Yeah, so they're Christians by definition. It's just, you know, do you believe in salvation by grace through faith alone? Well, uh, Catholic canon says no, but a lot of Catholics personally believe that, right? You're talking about, like, the largest group of Christians in the world, if anything, you know? So I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't be like, yeah, you're not a, a brother or a sister or whatever you want to be, you know? Like, I, I think those would be the main differences. I was just curious because I, I, it seemed like when, when you asked the question earlier, Falco, the, again, just because I think it's like, what, half of the world's Christians are Catholics? Yeah. And we're famous drunks. Yes. So, <laughs> so the, the beer was in the mix. I was like, oh, but I wonder, and especially in Miami, like Latin America and, and Miami being, you know, a Latin American capital. I was just curious about that. Like, what, well, what the objections might be. We're actually Presbyterian, so a lot of people okay. think we're Catholic because we, do, we don't do confession. Like, people don't come and confess to me. They tell me dumb shit they did. But, like, it's not like I have to forgive your sins. But, like, we do a corporate confession on Sunday morning because that's the story of the Bible, and we're here to tell the story of the Bible. Like, God created you for good. You chose bad. Say sorry. Own it. You know, God doesn't... He's not like a cosmic sky bully. He's not like, repent or I'll kill you. It's, I love you, so you can be honest with your Father in Heaven, right? And then we go through, you know, the story of the Bible. So I'll preach about Jesus and all the things he's done from a passage in scripture. We'll do communion every Sunday, which people also think is Catholic for some reason, which is super weird. And then we'll send you off, right? Like, and so you kind of go through the whole story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration every Sunday at Neighborhood. A lot of people don't pick up on that, but that is what we do. Hmm. I'll back off there. So you're good. Because we're, I mean, you do whatever you want. I can be here all day. But no, no, I'm, I'm ready. I mean, whatever you... I want to. I want to run to the uh, you know the the, the thing we, we our, finish out the show. Wind down stuff. Yeah. All right. So this is where we do our wind down. Wind down, wind ladies and down. gentlemen. Starting with our parting recommendations. This is where we will go around and everybody. You can recommend as many things as you want, as long as they are not yours. It could be literally. It could be a meal you ate, a book you read, a movie you watched, a place you went, whatever it might be. Just something you want to recommend to people. Followed by afterward, we'll do shameless plugs. So that'll be where you can tell everybody all your stuff. Okay, uh, Falco, you wanna you wanna kick us off, or do you already have recommendations in mind? Or give me like two seconds to think of recommendations. Sure. I got okay. three, but um, and go ahead. No, t- <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was fast. So you said two. I know you said two. Where's oh, my is it kid? two or is it five? Is it, I no. thought it was five. I was like, whoa. Oh no, you can say whatever you want. So, oh man, you know, uh, sadly enough, I haven't thought about too much. But shameless plugs. You know, I just got back from DC. Um, where I was with uh, uh, Beltran and Carlos, where we had the previous discussion that we just spoke about. But um, so I'm gonna to reach back to DC, some spots out there. Uh, Silver Lion, L Y A N, um, maybe the best cocktail bar I've ever been to in my life. It's uh, there in DC under the Riggs Hotel Riggs. What'd which you, what'd you drink? 
Oh, man. Uh, my favorite cocktail there, I, I had a Sazerac. I'm a big big Sazerac guy. Um, that was delicious. But my favorite cocktail there, I don't remember what was in it, to be honest. We drank a lot of cocktails. But it was called the Cover Band, which I Ooh. thought was apropos, considering I was with Carlos Escanilla. <laughs> so definitely recommend the Silver Lion. Um, also went to the Dabney, which is kind of, uh, according to, to Beltran, is, you know... Uh, it's the word historic's not right, but it's it's kind of one of the first um, fine dining slash casual fine dining restaurants in D.C., and it's all open fire cooking. Wow. And just the way it's set up and with a, a huge hearth in the back that's very visible, it was just a beautiful experience. Obviously, the food was great. The experience was great. The service was fantastic. Um, so that was great. Those, those would be my two food and drink recommendations. To go get a little media in here, um, a sleeper, a little sleeper pick that I only watched because, um, because I was told I needed to watch it before I watched uh, Doctor Strange, which I have not yet watched. Is Agent Carter? Agent Carter, little low key Marvel superhero. Well, I mean, she's not a superhero; she's just a badass. But um, was a show, two seasons, really solid. Um, so that uh, and to reach back a little bit. I'm a big Star Wars nerd. We spoke a little bit Star Wars. Really like the Obi-Wan series. I really like the Obi-Wan series. You should definitely watch that. Um, and while we're on the topic of spiritual abuse, I have been watching with my wife, re-watching, excuse me, a little voice break there, re-watching um, Handmaid's Tale. That's yeah. a pretty horrific journey. So um, if you want to punish yourself, uh, you should watch that as well. So. That's all I have for those. Now, one thing I will uh, actually one more. Sorry, one more meme page, which I believe you you put me onto is preachers and sneakers. Yes, <laughs> one of my which is simply um, a meme page that shows some of these uh, interesting religious leaders here, uh, mostly in America, um, and shows their incredibly expensive attire. So it's a fun follow. It's a fun follow. Yeah, but that's all I got. Yeah. Well. I'll recommend a few things. Um, the first thing I'll recommend is my favorite restaurant in the U.S. It's in Philadelphia. It's called Zahav. Uh, it's it's managed by Chef Solomonov. It is the best Israeli food that you will ever eat in your life. Mm. No, you can't get a recommendation for it. Or not a recommendation, a reservation for it. I am recommending it to you. Um, but it opens at 4. Get there at 3. It's Philly, so it won't be that hot. And you shouldn't go to Philly in the summer. It sucks. But go there in, like, the fall. Just sit at the bar. It is bar none the best Israeli food in America. Um, my second recommendation is a local Miami spot that my friend Bob Wazowski turned me on to. It's called No Manche Taqueria or something like that. It's on 8th Street and 67th Avenue by Los Palmas. Oh. It's like, imagine if real authentic like Mexican food like was made in an artisan way, but like was under $20, uh, you know, like a, a plate. Um, it's incredible i've been there five times in the past four weeks i might have a problem <laughs> I, love it. On, I just looked them up on google uh their business is listed with the name no manches que rico yeah so <laughs> it's like the name of the place it's delicious Amazing. i highly recommend that um another spot i have to i have to recommend is the bird road cigar shop uh you can just google the bird road cigar shop it's on 82nd and 40th street they um they they host our events so maybe it is a plug i don't know if it is we don't make any money from it but they're awesome i their owner george is like one of the coolest most chill guys in the universe i love that place um 
And that would be about it. In terms of media, I've really been getting into anime to prepare for this. So, like, okay. if you haven't seen Attack on Titan, if you haven't seen Naruto, highly recommend getting into them. Maybe Attack on Titan first. It's pretty graphic. It's not for kids. Um, but it's really good. There's actually a lot of religious themes in it. So, if you're into that, you can pick that up. Nice. So, I'm going to... Um I was going to recommend a YouTube thing, but I will know. I only know what Attack on Titan is because I uh, am an MMA fan, mm-hmm. and I was re- in my like recommendations feed. I got a recommendation for uh, UFC fighters reacting to the MMA moves done in Attack, Attack on, on Titan, Titan. <laughs> which was kind of like weird, like watching all this uh, uh, anime and like breaking down mm. the fight scenes. Um, but uh, the YouTube thing I was going to recommend is just in general a genre. Um, if you want to feel very old, um, there's like this whole sub world of uh, reaction videos, especially for like songs and music videos. And I have been going deep down a rabbit hole of channels that are mostly like 20 somethings reacting and hearing for the first time. And it like blew my mind. Like, there's one which the channel is awful. It's, there's like no insight to be gained from it other than just marveling at how little people know. But it's uh, one called the Car. It's spelled Cartier, but they pronounce it Cartier. Uh, the Cartier family, which is like four young black dudes, look like college age. Maybe they're recording in a dorm because they're always around each other. Had never heard "Regulate" by Nate Dogg and Warren Whoa. G. Wow. Had never heard like hearing a bunch I wish of I had like, never heard that song. hearing a bunch of Eminem for the first time, a bunch of Nas for the first time, a bunch Amazing. of had never heard in the air tonight by Phil Collins. Like I watched that earlier today. I was like, it's just fascinating to watch like grown, young but grown men hearing these things that you just sort of I think assume like there's no way people don't know this. And were I think they, it's, were they Mennonites? Where they grow up? I think it speaks to like the media, like how it's consumed. Right, like, you no longer are forced to watch like I don't know. People maybe are like you know MTV or the radio where like you'd hear the new stuff, but there was the stuff that had always been played. Now you're just like on whatever streaming thing you're on, and you never have to come into contact with any of these things. Oh yeah, you're in your bubble, exactly. algorithm bubble. So it's pretty fascinating to see the bubble. And then in the same genre, there's another channel called The Front Room, which is the most stereotypically polite Canadian father and son duo, where the son is like exposing his father to a lot of rap so they like listen I watched a solid like hour and a half of just these two people <laughs> listening to the college dropout from start to finish this is front front room the front, front room? room yeah okay. and it's incredible and it's like this this you know he's probably like in his 50s and he's like falling in love with 50 cent nice. you know? it's pretty great it's nice. great to watch so just if you it's I think it's just like a weird cultural phenomenon of like oh shit this exists like people who have never been exposed to any of this stuff and it's crazy how I, I think that's like a a generational difference that didn't exist right. with the previous generation. Because it was always the case that, like, you know, yeah, you didn't have to be in the Beatles generation to have heard the Beatles. But, no, there's, like, kids in their early 20s who have never heard the Beatles. Wow. Yeah, yeah. there's a teenager that goes to our church that doesn't listen to music, just TikTok. Hmm. And I, I looked at her and I was like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, are you okay? Like, you have to be a sociopath. I didn't yes. say that. Oh, my God. But I, I definitely yeah. said that. Get out of my church. Yeah, I was like, yeah, she knows it now. <laughs> But yeah, it's 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 that's odd. just regular abuse, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's just regular. It's not spiritual. I didn't say that. Yeah. The um, which, by the way, I want to fry some clarity. When I said I wish I had never heard "Regulate" by Warren G, that's because I want to experience it for the first time again because right. it's so yes. good. Very, yeah. very, yeah, very important. To distinguish, for sure. to distinguish. Uh, yeah. Shameless plugs. Shameless plugs, please, sir. 
Um, I guess shameless plugs. If you're an FIU student and you want to take the best classes ever, you should take my classes. Um, you can look up my rate, my professor. One student literally wrote that if future was a religious studies professor, it would be Eric Isaac. That's the entire review. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Um, Wait, what, what does that mean? I don't know. But future the rapper. Yeah, future, no, I know, but... <laughs> like, I don't know. It was great. I was like, this is epic. And yeah, your professors do read, you rate my professor. So like, and if they don't, they, they don't believe in their product. Like John, do you read reviews about Lincoln's beard? No, God, no, I can't. No, I'm sorry. You no, can't? No, really? I never, no, I, I barely even check our revenue numbers. Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, I'm crazy. So, you know, I do. <laughs> we might not have money. Yeah, but, um, I don't know. We're doing all right, I guess. Um, but yeah, and then if you want to check out Neighborhood Church, it'd be awesome. We'll get you a free beer and some tacos. That's like our gift to you. We're not going to give you merch with our brand on it. We actually don't have any. Um, but we'll buy you some of, you know, Hydar and Danny's beer. It's pretty yes, awesome. Um, very awesome. And we'll sit around and talk with you if you show up on a Sunday morning. What time on Sunday? Uh, it's at 10.30s. Here, here in Lincoln's Beer. Like, literally right here and right over there. Um, so if you want to do that, that that would be really cool. Um, and that's my shameless yeah. plugs, I guess. Uh, I'll go shameless plugs. Beautiful. Shameless plugs. Yes, of course. Firepit Hospitality. We have Lincoln's Beer on Burton 72nd. Strange Beast, which is pizzeria out on in Wary West Kendall, my old hometown. Uh, which is 152nd Avenue, 152, and Sunset. We have Maxwell Brothers and Maxwell Brothers Clothing Store, which is not a clothing store at all. Uh, it's a pizzeria and beer bar down on 174th Street Southwest in Palmetto Bay and US1. Uh, right next to that is Crybaby Creamery and Bakehouse, where we have some fantastic cookies and ice cream right next to it, and that's ours as well. But most importantly... Um, for in the context of this show, uh, is right down the street here. Um, sometime in November, likely we're going to be opening up Thorn. Thorn is going to be our first cocktail bar and full menu. It's going to be mostly shareables, but um, d- uh, jumping into liquor. So really excited about that. That should be opening sometime in November. Uh, Thorn Miami on Instagram. Um, and uh, I guess that's it for me. So Nick. We are Pankong Podcast, P-A-N-C-O-N Podcast, like a podcast sandwich on all of the social media things. You can give us all of your money at <laughs> patreon.com slash dademag, D-A-D-E-M-A-G. I will not buy you a taco. I think we're good. Signing off. Alrighty. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks Thank for you all. doing this. To both of you. Thanks for, to both of you for doing this whole thing. Was, uh, Happy to be here. Tremendous. Probably, yeah. Same here. Thank you all.